the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com right now for NBA draft winners and losers, all those grades. You know how that works. We do a little bit of NBA draft talk today with Keith Smith, but check out theathletic.com slash spot track. Get yourself 40% off. Download that app, personalize it with your favorite teams, your favorite leagues, and get ad-free exclusive content at your fingertips. We are also provided today by Dynasty Owner, the salary cap NFL fantasy football website. Great app, great website, easy to keep up with, totally customizable, plenty of options. It's not like any other system you've ever been inside. Now's the time to strike. Get yourself signed up, get your friends involved, figure it out if you want to go pay or free for a year, customize all these bells and whistles, make real-time decisions as NFL transactions happen in front of you. What happens when Kyler Murray goes from a $12 million quarterback to a $45 million quarterback? Can you afford him on your dynasty owner salary cap? Use code SPOTTRACK20, get yourself $20 off that initial registration fee, dynastyowner.com. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy Friday. Doing a kind of an off-day podcast today. I, uh, I was down a podcast this week after a little getaway with the family on Monday. So with the NBA draft and plenty of content to get to here, I figured I'd push one out there. It's a two-guest show. Keith Smith joins first to recap some of the NBA draft stuff, not just the picks and the players, but kind of what that means for the offseason with some of these teams and some of these options. Um, not so much the Kyrie KD stuff, because I believe that is... Uh, hearsay until it's not. And you know we'll have plenty of time to discuss that if and when something happens. But enough happened yet last night at the NBA draft to really have, drive some storylines that Keith does a great job of breaking down. And then back end of the show, Cousin Dan joins because Aaron Judge finally has a salary for 2022. We assess what it is, what that means. And then a quick comparison and uh, think you know thought forward for Shohei Otani, who will be eligible for arbitration three next offseason. And what does Judge mean for that? What does Otani's current salary mean for that? What's the path for these two players over the next 18 months? And how aligned may they be? So that's the back end of the show. I'm going to start here off the top here with a little Deshaun Watson stuff. It's uh, something I've been reluctant to bring up. I think it's important. I think as we start to read some of these tea leaves and some of the narratives come out, we may be getting to a point where what I'm about to tell you is fact and may not be your favorite thing in the world. But that's that. All right, a quick segment on Deshaun Watson here before we get to Keith Smith and the NBA draft recap. The assumed suspension, or at least the narrative being tossed around major mixed media right now, is that one year, all of 2022, is probably the likely starting point for Deshaun Watson's suspension. And, you know, I think the average fan looks at that and says, all right, that's probably about right. Been 24 cases, 20 of them settled. We all know the specifics now, even though I don't think we know many of the specifics in terms of what actually happened here and where this whole thing started and, and will finish because now, now settlements and payoffs are happening. I expect that to happen with the remaining four civil suits as well. And then it'll be in the NFL's hands after the court system. So Roger Goodell has somewhat spoken to this and now the narrative is being floated that one year happened. Why is this important? Why am I up here saying we have to start considering what one year means? Because there's a CBA contractual, not loophole, but condition for a player who is injured and put on a pup list, 
non-football injury injured prior to the year and or suspended for a year. And it's called contract tolling. The most recent version of this is Calvin Ridley, who is suspended for this upcoming season. His fifth-year option of $11.1 million, I believe, is not dissipated. He is not, not making that. He is not earning that this year, but it has been pushed out to 2023. So he's under contract with the Falcons at that same price for 2023. And that is because he was suspended for the entire year. Guaranteed. No conditions, no appeals. Suspended for the year. So the contract hold. If that happens to Deshaun Watson, if the league comes back per the court's recommendations and then their verification and say, all right, he's going to miss all of 2022 and we'll readdress this in 2023. If they put that in writing, and that is exactly what happens. No appeal, no nothing. The same thing will happen with Deshaun Watson's contract. And you, and you might say, all right, but he only had a $1.035 million base salary. They built it into the contract so that he would be protected somewhat for whatever suspension he gets. And that's fine. And you're right. That is the salary this year. Except when the contract holds, that salary is now going to become the 2023 salary. Okay, so the signing bonus sticks. That doesn't push, which means the Browns cap for 2022, the cap hit for Deshaun Watson, which is right now a little bit over 10 million, would drop to 8.9 million, the signing bonus proration. The $1 million base salary for this year will push to next year. Now, why is that significant? Because as of right now, year two on this contract, the 2023 year, carries a $54.9 million cap hit, <laughs> okay? If this happens, if he's suspended for the season and the contract holds, that will drop down to $10 million. So while, yes, the Browns won't have him for 2022, and that probably means they're not going to be competitive in 2022, they will, they will receive upwards of $45 million in cap savings because of the tolling of this contract, which means, all right, 2022 didn't work out. We kind of knew what we were signing up for. This is where we are. But because of this, this condition, because of the tolling of this contract, we now have an extra 45 plus whatever the league cap jumps to. We're projecting 218. It could be in the 220s because of the TV stuff. They may get a, an, an increase in cap space there. They may have pretty easily 50 million of cap that as of right now doesn't exist because of this and because of the TV money, which means, all right, we're going to be awful or at least an average team in 2022, even though our roster is kind of built to win. But boy, what can we look like next year, right? Who can we bring in with this basically handed to us cap space? It's, uh, it's an ugly situation because I don't want to be promoting any of this. But it's a fact. It's a fact. And we've seen it before. We've seen it with some other contracts. We got a slight version of this with the COVID opt-out stuff, right? Where a bunch of base salaries and roster bonuses and workout bonuses pushed out. We got a slight version of that. But that was its own condition that had to be built into the system. And this has always been. This is just how it works. So it's an ugly situation. He doesn't have to pay back that signing bonus if and when. But 
if you are against everything that's happening here, if you if you are on the side of Deshaun Watson should be given the, the biggest uh, you know, the biggest discipline possible, whatever that is, and the Browns shouldn't just be given a slap on the wrist because they're kind of the ones that expedited this whole problem with this ridiculous contract, with the draft compensation they gave up, with you know, bending over backwards to get this guy in the door to be their next franchise quarterback. The Brown side of this isn't being discussed enough. Now they're getting killed. And I'm sure there's a lot of owners and GMs out there that despise what, what Cleveland has done here. Those people are rooting for what I just said. They are rooting for 12 games or 16 games or something that keeps this contract intact right now. They want to make it hard on the Browns this year, not having their star quarterback for 12, you know, 10 or 12 weeks, which by process of elimination should make them average or bad. You know, Jacoby Brissett probably isn't winning 13, 14 ballgames there. And then also, they still have to deal with that $55 million cap hit next year. Because if it's not, if it's a full outright one-year suspension, they're going to be bad this year but then they're going to have a chance to be outrageously deep next year with free agent signings, trade acquisitions. You know how this works. Now, they don't have a draft. You know, they punted on quite a bit of significant capital to get him in the door. So free agency and trades are the only way this team can really add significant pieces. And $50 million of freed up cap space is certainly the recipe for that. So if you are against everything that's happened up to this point, and you think the Browns are wrong for bringing this guy in, you should be rooting for less than a year. Because if it's less than a year, the contract stays where it is. Okay? Yes, it's still pretty ironclad over the next two years in terms of you know, the, the non-voiding of guarantees and the non-payback of signing bonus. That stuff's all real and it's not going anywhere and I've spoken about it. But a, an 18-week suspension, a full 2022 suspension, actually benefits the Browns here. Not this year, but next year. A ton. And I'm not going to give my opinion either way on this. I'm just laying out the facts for you. But if you're against it, you should be rooting for less than a year. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say to this. Let's get on a much more positive note and talk about the NBA draft with Keith Smith. All right, our resident NBA expert Keith Smith is here. Keith, I'm sure you're up all night, especially with the undrafted situation. I know how that goes with the NFL. It's almost like a, like a two-part process, and you're probably still diving into a lot of that. I'll keep the first question really easy. Your one big takeaway from the NBA draft yesterday. Uh, I think it's that teams are loading up, but in very different ways. You have some that are loading up through the draft, the, the teams at the top. Um, and it's just it's beyond just making those, you know, obvious, you know, one, two, three picks. It's it's the volume of guys that some of those teams are bringing in. Um, it's the type of players that they're bringing in that. But then you have other teams that are loading up, like, for example, the the Knicks, who I think are getting kind of panned today, <laughs> but they're loading up cap space wise yeah. to to play that game again. I think the Spurs did did some interesting stuff with their picks, which lends them to maybe being a cap space team. We saw Detroit clear Jeremy Grant's salary out, but take on some money. So you, you've got teams that I think are really, you know, looking at this thing and saying, hey, well, why, why not us? Whether that be for a playoff spot or even to get into, you know, finals contention. Yeah, let's stick with Detroit. I think one of the winners yesterday, at least on paper here, because of the creativity, because of 
I, I think continuing to build through the draft, even when I think the urge to jump into free agency is probably there right now. And, and maybe they will. Maybe that'll still be a part two of that process. But your overall thoughts on, on what they did last night um, in, in shifting with the Knicks a little bit and the Hornets to get the big man. And also, of course, taking Ivy. Yeah, I think Jaden Ivy is going to be a terrific fit next to Cade Cunningham. Uh, they, they, they could use one more kind of on-ball creator. Um, and I think he'll, he'll be great there. I think, uh, uh getting Jalen Duran, um, to play up front, another good option in your front court. I, and I'm with you. I think, uh, when they traded Jeremy Grant, everybody immediately went to, oh, they're cleared space for Deandre eight. If not Deandre eight, then miles bridges. I'm not sold. That's the direction Detroit's going. I think Troy Weaver, uh, based off of this trade, eating the Kemba Walker salary, uh, to get Jalen Duran. That says to me, he's still slow playing this now. To be fair, he's still got enough money to go chase, yeah. uh, you know, a max guy if he really wants. But I think the path for Detroit might be, hey, let's see, can we get a couple guys, bargain guys, guys who maybe should make 10, 12 million, but we can give them 15 million dollars, 16, 17 million dollars on one year short term overpays. And maybe we could be like next year's Cavaliers and we're lifted in a playoff contention because I do think there is value in starting to play uh, important games late in the year with your young guys. Um, and, and they're really not as far off as it might seem for a team that picked, you know, in the top five. I feel the exact same way. And the Kemba point is excellent because you're right. They're still willing to take on that dead cap right now. And, and, and that signifies that they're not at least all in, which is the, the, the buzzword of sports lately. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that what Boston just did is, is a new path for some of these bottom teams, Keith? Because this feels like they could become a Boston Celtics type roster in three, four years if they play their cards right. Yeah, I, I think the days of... For some franchises, loading up and, you know, we're going to play them, we're going to have, you know, $100 million to you know, $120 million in cap space in the summer of X and go after these three max free agents. I, I think we're starting to get away from that. And I think what teams have seen is not everybody can do it the Warriors way, which the Warriors didn't even build it that way, right? They, they built primarily through the draft and then had the cap spike help them. But I think what teams are looking at is, a more recent cautionary tales of the Lakers, the Clippers and the Nets of if you are missing one or two of those big three, you're going to be in trouble because your depth, you can't possibly build functional depth behind it. No, no, nobody is good enough to nail all of those uh, minimum signings that way. And there's never that much minimum talent that's around. And that, that I think is what teams are looking at and saying that's trouble. And then if you flip that even further forward, you can look at it as a team like Portland who kind of kept doubling down on rosters that were good, but never really great. And that also was a challenge for them. So I think you're starting to see teams say, all right, Hey, let's build this a little bit more organically. We'll, we'll build through the draft and then we'll supplement with smart trades, a handful of free agent signings, but it doesn't need to be the big max signing. And then when we're ready, then we can kind of make, make our move like, like Boston did with the Derek white trade of, all right, we have a specific need. This guy fills it. Let's go get him and let, let's move forward. So I do think we're starting to turn the corner a little bit in the way these teams are built. I hate to do this, but I have to ask about the Knicks because everything you just said is exactly what the Knicks aren't doing, right? They're still reverting back to that old school. We got to free up cap space because all the superstars are going to want to come here. I just don't think that's the case. And I know there's a big push for Jalen Brunson, and that actually does make a little bit of sense. 
But doesn't just ripping everything right off and going right down to the bottom make more sense here with the Knicks, especially with, you know, big man Victor waiting in this 2023 draft? Yeah, that's the thing with, with him sitting there. If, if if you've looked at it and you're sold at all that this guy is, he, he's the guy, he's the next Zion AD where it's, you know, can't miss, going to be a superstar at number one prospect, then you have to be ready and prepared to pivot very, very quickly into we got to get down into that bottom, yeah. you know, three, four in lottery odds. So we give ourselves the best chance to jump to the top. I think for the Knicks, I, I in um, you know our our partner Scott knows this because we've talked about it. I've written about it. I am terrified of giving Jalen Brunson a hundred million dollars. I'm not sold that he is twice the player a guy like Tyus Jones is, but he's going to get paid probably twice as much, and that's worrisome for me because I, I just think the Knicks have really done so well the last like three seasons of. We're going to be patient. We're we're not going all in on a second and third tier free agent just because we got to land somebody. And if they're turning the corner away from that, that's a little worrisome because I'm just not sold. Jalen Brunson is that guy. But I mean, maybe they're pulling a smoke screen here and that's not the direction they're going to go and they're going to do something different. We'll see. I think they're just trying to give themselves options. So as it stands today, I'm not super down on anything that they've done, um, but Let's see. Let, let's you know revisit this conversation in a week or so when we see how they spent whatever the, the uh, cap space was and what they had to give up to get off maybe another contract or two because that's the yeah. other uh, com, uh, you know uh, factor in here as well. But now they've got a couple extra draft picks to maybe do that with. Right, right. I was actually going to finish with that because you're right. I, I mean, there's a chance that they're doing everything right here, and I think that's kind of how you open with some optimism is. We're just assuming they're going to sign Jalen Brunson or, or go after DeAndre Ayton and, and pull the splashy moves that the Knicks always try to make because they're freeing up this cap space. But it could be the exact opposite. They, they, they acquired, I think, three random draft picks from OKC yesterday in, in, that, in the, that rollback move from number 11. Yep. That could be the assets you need to get rid of Julius Randle here. Is that, is that correct? Yeah, now one of those they they've already flipped right. uh, forward somewhere else. But yeah, I mean you could use that. Those the challenges. None of those picks are great. They yeah. they all have. Um, it's all hope uh, though. You know, <laughs> you're selling hope, yeah. Keith. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? You're 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 hopeful that the uh, you know one year the team's really bad is the one year the protection slip or something like that. But yeah, I mean I, I don't know about Julius Randle per se, but I would think maybe one of those picks is enough to get off of Fournier's contract. Mm-hmm. I, I think uh, you know guys like Alec Burks, Nerlens Noel, they're 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 easily movable without. They shouldn't have to attach a pick. It was a little silly that they had to attach a first to Kemba Walker, um, <laughs> given how much money, you know, he only makes $9 million. Right. The, the kind of going in assumption for the last few years has been, it's basically one first round pick for every 20 to 30 million in dead salary that a guy is carrying. So that's, that part's a, a little, a little concerning, but I, I, I kind of get it. Cause I think what they're trying to do is we want to, whether it's this summer, we're going to go all in. But I think they also want to conserve as much cap space in 2023 as they can mm-hmm. when the free agent class is better. And I think then the plan is, hey, we'll, we'll kind of ride this out. And this was always set up to be a two to three year plan for the Knicks. So I think they've, they've, they're, they're still on course. But again, let's see what happens in the next week or so, because you could throw this whole thing out of whack. You mentioned the, the cap boom that Golden State kind of built their dynasty off of you know they they just hit everything right it was it was lightning in a bottle 
are, are teams anticipating that that could happen again here with this TV money coming? Or do you think that the league is going to flatline and slow play this thing to avoid that from happening? Yeah, there is not the expectation of a massive cap spike of, you know, 20 plus million in one year. The sense is when that happened back in, I want to say 2016, it was the the NBA and the Players Association did not have the relationship that they have now. Um, So there was, you know, and rightfully so, distrust on the side of the Players Association that was basically like, uh, yeah, no, we're this your smoothing idea. Yeah, right. Then I think what they realized is that resulted in Timofey Moskov and Luol Deng getting paid, <laughs> and then guys didn't get paid next year, right? So I think the point now will be, I think that the two sides, they've worked through obviously an awful lot over the last few years with COVID and then the bubble and then a couple COVID-impacted seasons in, you know, in relative terms. Obviously, they worked through with very few issues and hiccups they they got through uh three consecutive seasons crowned three champions which was you know incredible that they were able to do that i think what you're going to see is there will be some level of smoothing but it is still going to jump it's just not going to be uh you know instead of our regular five to seven million jump it's not going to jump to 20 to 25 million it'll probably be 10 to 12 and that'll be spread over over you know several years but the players are going to make sure that they get there so this next time around okay back to the draft for one question and then a couple of uh veteran player questions will get you out of here because i know it's a busy day for you the player that slipped the biggest for you uh that's a good question um i think aj griffin yeah um i I thought was going to go uh, somewhere towards the the back end of the lottery, and he slipped uh, down to 16, so just outside uh, of that. Uh, the, he he was a guy that I you know really thought was going to be uh, plug and play. He landed in a very interesting spot in Atlanta, uh, where they have a lot of wings, and that says to me that they're they're uh, not just Lou Williams wings like like uh, at Magic City that he likes either. They they've got uh, wing players too. Um so I think it's uh they're they, open for gonna, business, right Keith? Yeah, absolutely. They they're going to do some stuff. I mean Travis Schlenk right after their season ended in his uh, post post uh, playoffs media availability said, "Yeah, we should have done more. We shouldn't have just stayed yeah. as pat as we did." So that that's basically a sign of we're we're moving some stuff. So he he's probably the guy for me that that slipped the most. Okay. Yeah, I, I honestly thought after the craziness at the top, which I don't think was that crazy, they were always a kind of a, a top three that could have gone in any direction. I thought it went pretty chalky after that. I, I thought Sacramento did the right thing, you know, outside of making a big trade, which obviously wasn't there for them. Positionally, I thought everything kind of went as it should have gone. And, and some of those I don't know, role players like, you know, like the Sochan and the Sharps. I think they're in great spots now. I want to mention Portland real quick because the, the narrative to Dame Lillard is going to be there. It's not going to go away until this team starts to win significant ball games. Uh, I like the draft pick. The Jeremy Grant move is interesting. You mentioned about teams being afraid to go down too, too far, you know, kind of staying in the middle. That, that's Utah. That's Portland. That's Indiana. There's just a lot of teams like that that continue to do that. Should Portland have been ripping this thing off, Keith, or do you think that they're at least the, the the reset they're doing here has some validity. Um, I think they're they're kind of back to back moves of acquiring Jeremy Grant, but then drafting one of the rawest players in the league. <laughs> yeah, the are working. Yeah, they're working in opposite directions, right? And it's it's fine if you were one of those teams that you're pretty good in through circumstances. You have a very high draft pick 
and you want to pick a project and put them at the end of your bench, kind of like what Portland did in the past with guys like Anthony Simons and Nasir Little, um, and then develop those guys and trust in your system and get there. This, though, was a move where you could have moved that pick, I would assume, and got yourself another helpful player that could come in alongside Jeremy Grant and Damian Lillard and presumably Simons and Nurkic and the guys they keep around. Um, I just did that part is a little, um, yeah. it, it just, those moves are kind of moving in opposite directions. And I don't like when teams do that. I like when teams very clearly pick a direction and then they go. Um, I, I don't like the moving in opposite directions stuff. Still seems like there's, it, it could be an explosive season for them. I, I don't think Dame's sure. status is locked in right now based on what you're talking about. It seems clunky. It seems like they're, they're adding pieces to try to figure out who they're going to be for the next three years. And that may or may not include Dame Lillard. We'll see. Um, let's get to Aiton because he's been rumored to about 77 teams. I've picked three or four of my <laughs> favorites, right? I, I, I don't think he had a good night. Is that, is that correct in assessing that? I, I, I don't believe the teams that were maybe in on him are still in on him. Am I incorrect in saying that? Did he just lose a lot of leverage with Phoenix? Um, Maybe. It depends on how real you thought the Detroit thing was, if, if that was your spot. At Charlotte, since, Detroit, yeah, those kind of teams, right? Yeah, those, those ones for sure. Now, I think um, San Antonio, okay. adding a couple more wings, says to me Lonnie Walker is out of the picture there. And I think that means we're going to see them uh, go – 30 plus million in cap space. When I, when I run a, a updated cap space projection post draft uh, here, I'll have them with over $30 million in projected cap space and they could use a center. Um, they could also even do it as part of a, a deal where they maybe even send Jakob Pertl back to um, Phoenix. And that allows Phoenix say, we still have a center and we can move uh, forward our way uh, on that. So I think there there's combinations there. I think, um, Indiana could still get involved very easily because they, they should have cap space. They've also got Miles Turner's contract. Um, it's, it's funny because we did talk Portland. Portland could still maybe get involved because they've got a couple contracts that they could pile together to make a move if they wanted to go that direction. So I, I think it's just a little harder to see. And it may be one where maybe all this has been a lot more noise than anything else. And he's maybe just going to stick right in uh, Phoenix and then they'll, they'll work it out after. We'll, we'll see. Not a max player for you, though? Um, I, so... I always say this, it, it almost doesn't matter what your opinion is. It's what the guy can get. Sure. And I think he will still get a max deal. Um, I don't know that it, that he, I would give him a max deal in a vacuum if all things were equal, but I do think he probably still gets a max deal from someone because he's talented, he's young and he's big. The history of the NBA is that combination gets you paid. Oklahoma city. I think got exactly the man they wanted last night. We we had talked about that quite a bit in, in some previous episodes, Keith. How quickly can this thing work? Do you think that they're really on a fast track now, or are they more in Detroit's boat where it's still about slow playing, still about maybe taking on a dead contract here or there and, and seeing what happens for 2023? Yeah, they're still sitting on some cap space uh, go, go, uh, for about six more days. Um, and then they will be be over the cap when we hit July 1st. Uh, but sitting on that cap space right now, that they, they, they can maybe do something. They're starting to run out of room to absorb too much more uh, salary because if it goes into the next year, which is the only way it would make sense for a team to give them something to take it on, is 
they would start to push, I think, a little tighter to the tax line than they really want to be. So I think what's, what we're going to see with them is they probably do a more smaller deal, help somebody out. That, that could be a place where the Knicks work with them and get something going if they really need to shed a deal or something like that. But I think overall, I like that they were this year able and willing to say, here's a whole bunch of picks to get us one. Yep. I don't know that I, I agree. Usman Jang was worth three first round picks. That's a little, I'm a little skeptical on that. I but guess when you have that many though, it's like, right. That's exactly it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, it's kind of like right when we were trading baseball cards as a kid where it's like, Hey, I have 10 rookie cards of this guy. Like I'll give you four of them for you or whatever. Would you rather have one um, Mickey Mantle or thousands right. of other cards? Exactly. <laughs> it, it's kind of kind of like you know it doesn't work on my daughter anymore but you know <laughs> hey i'll give you this these th- three nice shiny quarters for that dirty dollar bill um <laughs> but i think what happens with with these with this one with okc now moving forward is they're probably still in a development year for sure but this year's more i think about let's really keep these guys on the court sga giddy get chet holmgren out there with them uh, let's really figure out how these guys fit because in 2023, they have the ability to be a cap space player again. Uh, they can't this summer, but that summer they can because they've got some stuff coming off the books, including the dead salary for Kemba Walker. So I think what will happen then is then then that becomes almost an inflection point of, are we ready to push forward? Are we ready to start winning? Because if we are, that really changes the whole calculus of how we're going to build this moving forward. I feel like they, there's a chance they could be the Cavaliers from last year and really maybe take a step further than we think they can right now. I, I just think th- there are, there are a lot of good bodies on that roster right now. Not, it's not deep enough to win significant ball games in my opinion. And they know that, but I think that starting five can really start to gel if they have a nice off season here. So I, I'm, I'm bullish on them, Keith. I'm going to put it that way. I'm pretty I, bullish on them. Um, I think it's possible um, because I, they're, they're certainly going to play very hard uh, every single night. They're young. They, yeah. they, surprisingly for for a not good team they have pretty good depth um throughout i think the challenge is the western conference yeah. is so good yeah. i i think that's what they're going to run into them in houston both i think they're going to be trying to be better uh next year i just don't know if they're going to be able to pull it off just because of how deep the conference is especially when you look at a couple of the teams that were a little down last year like the clippers the lakers like they, they're probably not going to be in that situation next year and they'll probably start to put push uh up the standings as well it's just gonna be hard to make that climb in the west that's fair all right last one you're orlando based orlando had the big pick last night is it just the magic falling in love with superstars you know that stark offensive player which they've drafted over and over so many times in franchise history um, I think when Orlando has gone big at the top of the draft, it's historically worked out really well yeah. for them. Even if the guys haven't stayed and, you know, uh, done anything, but they went Shaq, they made it to the finals. They went Dwight Howard, they made it to the finals. So um, we'll see. I'm not, you know, by any means suggesting Paulo Bancaro is, you know, going to be a hall of famer like those two guys both are. Um, but I do think he was the right pick for the magic. I had him at the top of my mm. personal draft board because I think he has the, the safest floor while also having a very high ceiling. I just, I, I struggle to find a way where he busts. Um, you know, barring, you know, all the, the crazy stuff like injuries that we don't, you know, ever really factor in unless there's a history. I think he fits in because he not only can he score and do a lot of things as a versatile scoring player, 
but he's a better defender than I think people give him credit for. And he's a very, very good passer with him and Wendell Carter Jr. Now they've got a couple bigs you can run some stuff through. And what we're seeing in the NBA is if you want to help your wings really uh, explode as far as being scorers and do other things, if your bigs can facilitate that opens everything up for you quite a bit. And I think what we're going to see with the uh, magic is we're going to see Bancaro and Carter running stuff while that's going to free up Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs, Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz. I'm really high on the Bancaro pick and just what they're doing as a whole here in Orlando because I think um, Jeff Weltman and John Hammond came in with a tough situation because they came in and then the team made the playoffs and I don't think they really wanted to. (laughs) Um, And then they made it again and it was like, now what do we do? And then it was very clear for them of, yeah, we could be the sixth, seventh, eighth seed probably for a few more years with this Vucevic, Gordon, Fournier group, but that's not what we want. And they turned the corner and said, we're going to really rip this thing all the way down. We're going to go in our direction. They've leaned heavily into it. And I, I, again, my, I, I firmly believe when you pick a direction, you have to be all in on that direction until it's time to pivot and either pick up or pivot and say, it didn't work. We need to tear it back down again. And I think they've done a really good job here in Orlando. If Markel Fultz can get healthy and stay healthy, th- there's a real yeah. chance here. There's a real chance. Here. Jonathan Isaac. And Isaac too. too. Uh, you're right. I'm yeah. forgetting him. There's a real yeah, chance everybody. that they have a backcourt front court, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, if we're oddly for a team that is really bad, they have pretty good depth. Yeah. If you start looking at it, I, I said this, so, to someone the other day, they're like, I just, I don't know with Orlando. And I'm like, I'm like, go look at their roster and come back in a couple minutes. And he's like, man, you're right. I like a lot of those guys. And I was like, right. That's kind of, you know, the thing is, you know, it's the same thing with the Thunder. It's the same thing with the Rockets. I think those three teams, considering they were one, two, three in the draft, I think they are very, very interesting teams that are set up. And I think all three players landed in the place that will ultimately be the best for them. Uh, moving forward, which I think is really important too. It's it's talent trumps all, but fit does matter. And sometimes to get the most out of that talent, you have to maximize the fit. I think all all uh, three players land in a place where their talent will be most maximized by their fit. He's done a massive off-season financial preview set. He's done. He's in the middle of a positional off-season set, which is breaking down all the available point guards, shooting guards, forwards, and centers. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more with the updated cap numbers and things like that as these draft picks sign and the offseason continues. He's at Keith Smith NBA on Twitter. We're lucky to have him. Thanks, Keith. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Dan, save me from the NBA hell. Let's talk baseball. Aaron Judge finally settles. <laughs> Halfway through the 2022 season, he has an actual salary. It's $19 million, which is the middle point between where he and the Yankees had filed. He gets a couple extra bonuses for... Uh, you know, late postseason MVPs, 250000 each. So could be nineteen five at the end of the day. Just your initial thoughts on that before we dive into some deeper stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it is uh, promising. Uh, first of all, it's a good deal for both the player um, and the team. He's still way under market value. It's still a significant increase from um, what he had made last year. Um, one of the big biggest one year increases, um, in arbitration ever. So, um, good from that perspective. And, um, I think it does bode well going forward in terms of like a long year, uh, longer term deal between the Yankees and judge. I hate it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The price is fine. It's probably where it was going anyway. 
you get all this way and you don't go to the freaking hearing. I, I hate this for Aaron Judge. He, the MLBPA deserve better. We need guys like this going through the process and going through the stats at the adjudication and understanding where these things are so that guys don't, you know, of a lesser tier, right? Maybe just underneath an Aaron Judge can better market themselves to avoid, right? It, it, it stinks that so many players have to go through the process. And by the way, it's a brutal process. The team is against the player. The player is against the team. It really kind of tears you apart going through this process. So I'm not saying it's easy. But do you understand what I'm saying here, Dan? Like we need the, the the court system to constantly continue to update itself. And I realize it's a terrible day to talk about the court system, but we uh, we need these kind of examples and precedents to be put in place kind of every year, so that, like I said, the guys who are slated to make nine or ten million don't get crushed by their team and avoid for four to five million. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there, and. John Heyman had some reporting last week that like, I think a lot of people have said, why are they even nitpicking over $4 million when they have, you know, seemingly unlimited payroll. And, and John Heyman had had um, a a discussion about um, how it is, it was for the, uh, the process itself. And that um, it it was probably more of an MLB motivated um, move that they wanted Right. That That's what I'm saying. And I said that right. in, exactly. I said that in the I, article too, but how did we get here and then don't go through it now? What, so what were I, we waiting for? Well, that's why I guess I say that it's promising for a, a you know, a long-term relationship between the two. I don't think ah. it's beneficial for either side to actually go through that process from like a, a relationship standpoint. I, I get exactly okay, what you're saying. So in you're, terms of- you're, you're, you're taking a different path here, which I actually appreciate. So, so while I'm taking the, the, all players path, right? He, he, he owed this to the rest of the league, Aaron judge. You're saying by going through that process, it may have fractured his relationship with the Yankees. And he, he does want to leave open the opportunity to resign with them. Yeah. I think that, I think the favorite is he resigns with the Yankees. I think judge Mm -hmm. wants to stay there. He's the biggest superstar in the game right now in the premier market. If he's going to get paid accordingly, I think he wants to stay there and We've seen this actually specifically Dylan Batantis went through arbitration with the Yankees and the Yankees argued hard against him. And he admitted that he felt that that ruined that, that ruined their relationship. And and it sounds like a similar thing happened with Freddie Freeman mm-hmm. that it didn't burn the relationship, but he at, at least was like the first sign in his mind that maybe he wasn't going to be there long-term. Trevor Bauer was pretty outspoken about this stuff too. It's yeah, exactly. So it gets nasty. I I guess, I guess if he, if he was leaning towards I'm out of here and I'm just going to chase the biggest money I can get, I I would have no problem with what you're saying. Just go through the process. We all heard about it until Mm -hmm. literally the last minute. And then they settle for what judge was already offered. The Yankees already had $19 million on the table. The incentives is what was added. And those are, I mean, like let's say he's 25% to get that, that extra 500 K, right. He's probably the leader in the the clubhouse for the AL MVP right now, but you know, world series MVP, you got to get to the world series before you can even get there. So, so real real quick, I just want to spin this on its head a little bit because like I said, you know, the arbitration process is kind of fluid. It's every year we have to evaluate a current player based on his previous stats, but also kind of where the market was, in recent arbitration hearings. So uh, there's one coming up next year. I know you and I have done a lot of work on it and we're still doing work on it. And that's Otani. And I, 
do we want Otani to go through it just so that we understand how it would work? Is that something that we just as sports fans and as honestly as sports business nerds, do we need to see that process happen, especially now that we haven't seen this one happen? From a like from a fan perspective, I think we all want to see it just because we have no idea what it will look like. Mm-hmm. And it is it's going to be unprecedented to, to create and going forward. We're never going to see this probably play out ever again to this degree that now there might be dual players moving forward, but I don't think we're going to ever see the ceiling of Otani in a dual player ever again. So um, while we're all trying to figure out how it's going to work, it might be a one and done thing where we never have to worry about it again. So I just selfishly, I want to see it play out. Um, I don't know if it actually will play out, but um, you know, from like the league standpoint, I don't really know if it's going to benefit them or the the MLBPA specifically because this is such a one-off unicorn scenario that I don't really, if anything, it might just complicate matters. Like when you're trying to come up with a contract production, this might just be, you know, a hurdle in your way going forward. But I I don't know. I I at least want to see it play out though. I did a quick uh, comparison between Judge and Otani here because, you know, from, I think from a hitting standpoint, there's similarity. Now there are some stats that Otani can put up there that Judge just won't touch and vice versa with some of the power stuff. But you and I kind of had an offline conversation about this, and I think it, it, it kind of threw us into a, a tizzy, which is Otani is on basically a two-year arbitration avoid contract right now for the first couple of years of his, uh, his team control. And it's bonkers, crazy cheap. We, you know, this has been talked to death in the media. It's been something we've referenced quite a bit. His, his pay raise went from four, $3 million last year to five and a half this year, which in the grand scheme of arbitration processes with the year Otani had in 2021, if Otani did not have this avoided contract already, I have to imagine that his 2022 compensation would have been closer to 11 or 12 million. That's how much he's left on the table by signing that two-year contract back in 2021. So he's already kind of behind the eight ball here and he's not having a, a 2022 that that's going to replicate 2021. And by the way, there's very little trickle down when it comes to the arbitration process. So if I tell you he's a five and a half million dollar player right now, and by the way, he is because he, he agreed to that. So that's what the judge will say if it goes arbitration. Well, you, you deemed yourself to be a five and a half million dollar player last year, regardless of what your stats say. So we have to, that's got to be our starting point. If I tell you that judge was number four in AL MVP last year, Dan, the year that was used to get us to this $19 million avoided salary. And that $19 million represents an 86% increase from his salary last year. If I tell you that Otani is not going to reach Judge's plateau from last year, he's not. The numbers aren't going to be there. He may have a couple more doubles. He's certainly going to have a couple more triples and stolen bases. But everything else is going to be below what Judge did in 2021 this year based on projections. It's just saying an 85% increase is conservative, right? It's probably high. That only gets you to $11.2 million. How does Atani play on $11 million? It's a great question. It's it's a great question that we've sort of avoided. Like I know we, I'm trying to force so myself been looking to get at in this, here, <laughs> right? Well, we've been looking at this from like a what's his next contract look like, right. and what do they do in the in, in the short term? Um, I think that's that's a really great question that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. There's sort of numerous timelines kind of 
coming together, all merging at the same time? Like, are they going to, tra- will the angels look to trade him if they fall out of contention this year with mm-hmm. a year and a half left of control? And what would that look like? If they trade him, I, I, you would assume that that team aquarium has the intention to give him a long-term deal. So I, I, I honestly don't know, Mike, but you're, yeah. you're right, Dan, he could be traded to the team he wants to go to sign that extent Frankie Lindor situation, right? Um, Manny Machado situation. Yep. That, that's exactly what could happen. Mookie Betts, of course. Um, we've seen that quite a bit now with these superstar players. They kind of get to pick their market a little bit and then they sign the contract really before arbitration becomes a possibility. I guess there's a lot of people probably hoping for that <laughs> so that we don't have to go through because this is going to be huge. Everything I just laid out for you is just his bat. I didn't even talk about him on the mound, which is a whole different aspect to it. Right. But yeah, what if it has to get... To, what if the plan is the Angels are going to keep him until the bitter end, which is their prerogative, but Otani wants to get the free agency, which means this has to happen. This arbitration has to happen. It, it's, it's fascinating just to start to dive into it because it's so complicated. And by the way, you and I are, have done some work now in an evaluation process, which we're putting a piece together for. He's not the best hitter in baseball. He's not the best pitcher in baseball. So on a one-to-one comparison... He doesn't generally stack up statistically. It's just when you package it all together, he's this unicorn that is kind of untouchable. Right. And that's going to be impossible for them. I mean, I don't even know where their process is going to start because typically you're going to compare that against other players in the league. And uh, I mean, that's like arbitration is you're essentially the team is arguing against the player compared to other players Mm -hmm. and they're using comps, right? So if they don't really have anything to argue it against, are they just going to throw out, you know, I, I, we're probably not going to be able to like compare this and say, Oh, this is, um, you know, he, he's going to follow the Mookie best, the bets path. Right. And he made this in year three of his arbitration, whatever. I, they can't even do that. He, he can eat like, he, I know you're saying 11 mil, but c- if they, depending on what their formula or process is, couldn't that easily turn into 30 million though? <laughs> or are you saying just no flat out because of his, the, the, you know, the financial path he took with the arbitration avoided contract and, and that kind of thing. I, I don't know. What do you think? So, so l- let me just get back to where we were here, which is those numbers. I know I rattled those off like a million miles an hour, but I, I didn't want to bore people out of the gate here. If, if we're talking about, let's just say that the arbitrator sits down and says, all right, we're going to stack you up against the best example of arbitration we have as a pitcher and as a hitter. And that would be Mookie Betts, and that would be Garrett Cole, both who both who got an ARB three salary. Okay, Mookie got a twenty seven million dollar salary, which was a hundred percent increase from his second year salary. Garrett Cole got a thirteen point five, which was a hundred percent increase from his second year arbitration salary. So a hundred percent increase appears to be the going rate. But when you're starting at five and a half million, that's only eleven million. <laughs> you know what I mean? So unless they give him a 200% increase because he is both, and, and I think that's what you're kind of saying there, then, then the number is going to be shocking, shockingly low no matter how we, we, we sniff it out. You know what I mean? And right, by the way, right. I'm not saying giving him a, a near 200% increase is wrong because I don't think we have an answer for that. That may be exactly what they do. Um, and then that would get it up into the 16s and the 17s, which was where I believe he probably belongs right now from an arbitration standpoint. But I, uh, I don't know how this is going to work because like I said, statistically speaking, when you put him pound for pound against the Mookie Betts and a Garrett Cole, respectively, he's not there. 
He's a tier below. So it, it may be in precedent. They may have to, I mean, there's an Otani rule for rosters right now, right? There's an Otani rule for designated hitters and, and, and in-game pitching. Is there going to have to be an Otani rule for arbitration? They, they may have yeah. to completely craft something from scratch here. I totally agree. I think it's a unique situation and uh, they're probably going to have to come up with a unique process for him. So I, yeah, I think the percentage increases or however you want to lay that out is going to have to be tossed on, on this specific example here. So yeah. Or doubled up. We'll see how that goes, but I think the judgment right. makes a lot of sense. And I love, I, by the way, I, I did not come into this segment, Dan, thinking about that the importance of him inv- avoiding may be a positive for Yankees may be a positive for the future of Judge and the Yankees, which, by the way, of course it should be. I mean, we're literally on the cusp of a walk-off hit by him last night. He is having a career year. The Yankees as a whole are having careers, you know, literally a franchise career year. Um, at this point, we've talked a lot about this, but at this point, he's, he's foolish to leave, right? You're, you're saying there are the odds to keep him? I think so, yeah. I mean, it seems like they're motivated despite kind of the public jockeying they've been doing more recently but it sounds like judge wants to leave he's handled this really really professionally in my opinion um and if the money is like like maybe the giants or the mats or some other team wows him with more money but even a close a close offer from the yankees i think he would two two more they match it yeah Yeah. two more questions then any chance they negotiate in the season here? Mm. So he's he's been pretty upfront saying yeah. that he didn't want to, but I, I could see that being reversed a little bit today. But I, I mean, everything's I gone just, so well, you know, it's like the perfect freaking yeah. storm. Right. He'd be smart. I mean, I don't want to say he'd be smartest to do this, but he certainly wouldn't be dumb to lock it in now if there is a major... Um, if there's a major contract on the table currently it, during the season and it's increase, it, it's an increase from what the offer was on the the eve before opening day. So yeah, what if it's eight for two seventy five, right? If it's thirty five a year and he gets his eighth year, I, I just don't know how you say no to that with this team right now. You know, but yeah, you, you, you're very well. I think you're right. He everything that's been said around him specifically is he wants to test. He wants to get three four offers. So. I'm not going to hold that against him. That's certainly his prerogative. Last question. You are the Mets. You are the Giants. You are, I don't know, the Padre. Who else would be involved here? Maybe Seattle. You have Otani and Judge sitting in front of you. Both want to play for you. Which one are you signing? Hmm. That's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, man, got... Both both will be twenty nine ish when it's time to sign. So yeah, so you you really backed me into a corner on this. <laughs> I'm just I'm gonna say Otani. No softball answers, man. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna place a caveat on it, but I'm gonna say Otani mostly because I think if you, I, I don't think he's a pitcher long term. Like for the throughout his career, let me say that I think his profile as an outfielder, first base, DH player could could age a little bit better there is very little precedence for a player of Aaron Judge's size like his height and weight having sustained success long term 
um, in the league without getting injured. So I like, I'm, I'm really not trying to project injury onto Aaron judge. No, I love, I, I'm not a Yankees guy, but I love watching him as a player. I think I res- I respect the hell out of him. So um, I'm not trying to wish ill on him. I'm just saying in terms of like long-term, if they're both going to commit, let's call it an eight year deal. Um, I think the profile of Otani has the chance to age a little bit better, but um, that's not if he's pitching. Like, I, if he's going to be a pitcher and a hitter throughout eight years, I think he's going to have trouble um, ma- maintaining that at a high level. So, I, 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 I tend to oh, agree with you, and I think we're maybe saying the same thing, but I'll be a little bit more blunt about it. I just think he's a better athlete. I, I think Otani is more athletic, which should which should allow him to last a little bit longer. Now, I mean, he may have more miles because of his time playing elsewhere. But I just think he's built to to withstand more. It, 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 there are times when it feels like Aaron Judge is already starting to break down in front of me, right? Even when he's doing a home run trout, I'm like, oh man, that looks painful right now. Right, and, and that's the thing. I mean, he's super athletic. He's an incredible yes. outfielder. He's yes. been playing center field this year, which has not been the case in the past. He has a cannon arm. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think you're saying he's a terrible athlete. I just think you're saying just in comparison, um, just in comparison, right, it, Otani it, look, seems to be a little bit more, maybe be able to withstand a little bit more when the years start to break down around. Him. Yeah. And let's not forget. I mean, like it, let's also not just get attached to recency bias here. Like in past years, Stanton judge, they always had this reputation. Yankee fans couldn't stand when they, they're always hurt. They always have these soft tissue injuries, et cetera. So like, like he's obviously he's putting together a monster year and he's a super exciting player star, you know, franchise player, but like that's, that stuff doesn't go away. Right. Yeah. So it could easily. And oh, um, by the way, that, that hit by pitch hand injury, you get hit again there. That's just going to be bad news. You know what I mean? That stuff doesn't go away either. That can be a recurring thing as well. And that's flukish and freakish, but it's part of the game. I mean, my Mets have been hit 52 times, Dan. Yep, yep, exactly. And Otani, to, to you know, to flip it on the other side too, Otani could could have the same injury risk as an outfielder. But I actually like that you pointed this out because that's going to be sort of an interesting comparison. They're both going to sign similarly length, uh, lengthy deals, in my opinion. And like, let's hypothetically say Otani does shift to an outfield role. Um, we're going to kind of see them age together on similar contracts. So that'll be uh, fun to watch. So good stuff, man. We'll talk soon. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. All right, my thanks to Keith Smith. Check him out on Twitter at Keith Smith NBA. Plenty of great articles from him on SpotTrack.com. And also Cousin Dan, who's not just supplying us MLB, MLB data, MLB content, but he's also taking a look at these, uh, all of the sports from a gambling perspective. When's the right time to strike on some divisional aspects, some conference aspects, even some future World Series, Super Bowl, NFL, or NBA Finals, NHL Finals for the, for the upcoming seasons and off-seasons here. He's, uh, he's all over that and trying to find the right value lines to promote in our newsletter. Speaking of which, Spotrek has a newsletter twice weekly, free, all the good stuff you need there. It's the kind of daily spot. It's what we're calling it. You can uh, subscribe to that on Spotrek.com as well. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spotrek Podcast. 